Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What's going down? Hey everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of What's Going Down here on ITRWrestling.com or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Kenny McIntosh. I'm joined as always by Mr. Finley Martin. Finn, the wrestling continues to happen at a rapid pace and we're here to cover it. We certainly are, yes. I mean, uh, I believe you stayed up till, was it 5.45am or something daft for to watch Double or Nothing? Yes, because I was like, because the thing was I had loads of stuff on the next day. Yeah, so I didn't. I, I knew that if I didn't watch it, then I might not have time to get to it. So I was like, right, okay. And it, I was, I was fine until it was. And it's no disrespect to the match, but the the, the Jurassic Express, Swerve and Keith Lee and uh, Starks and Hobbs match. And you know that was like four forty five a.m. That was losing the world to live because you're like, we're ready for the main event now. Yeah, <laughs> very ready for the main event. But um, you were much more sensible and watched it at a much more yes. sensible hour. So I watched it yesterday. Yeah, the correct choice. Yeah, <laughs> there must have been at least three matches on that show that should have been omitted, and the show would have been better for it. Yeah, hundred percent. Three. <laughs> and then, yeah, there was a lot of lot of uh, complaints about the time. Tony Khan did say in the post show scrum that the reason that there was more matches on it and that it went longer was to make sure they could still go on after the playoffs uh but yeah i mean there's been a lot of feedback about the length of the show so i think 
I think unless they have to do it that way, we'll probably see it go back down to four hours or whatever it was before. But um, we'll get to Double or Nothing in a minute. Let's talk through SmackDown first. We'll do SmackDown, then Double or Nothing, and then Raw if we get time, and if we don't, we'll do Raw on Power Slam. Um, what did you make of the uh, May 27th episode of SmackDown from Little Rock, Arkansas? Did it float to your boat, Finn? It just felt like mostly a filler episode. Um, not much of consequence occurred. Um, I guess one of the issues, one of the issues they've got is because obviously we have the opening promo with you know the Usos, the Unified Tag Tag, tag Champs, um, and you know we we find out because Nakamura comes out and says you know you injured my partner, then Riddle comes out because they injured his partner, and I think the the issue is that maybe I I understand on paper why you would do the story of Nakamura and Riddle because their their partners are injured, but it doesn't it's not exciting. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's just a bit like, like you say, filler. It feels like we're, we're, we're just waiting until something's going to happen. And yeah, that can sometimes just... be the most frustrating thing to, to sit through because, you know, it's not like there's consequences happening. Yeah, it just felt like we're killing time until the good stuff is wheeled out again, whatever that might be. Um, and yeah, Nakamura is somebody who obviously many years ago, six years ago, was a real talent and has been coasting for so long now that it's hard to remember when he was a stellar talent or you know, a majestic uh, performer. Um, so, I mean, he's trying and they're trying to make this work, but he just feels like he's been in, you know, he's been on go slow. He's been in like second gear instead of fifth gear for years. Yes. So it's, it's a tough sell, I think. And um I think that was borne out on, on Raw when they had the match, Riddle and Nakamura versus Jimmy and Jay, contenders match. Um, Riddle and Nakamura won by DQ, so they will receive a title match in future. Um, and it just felt like Nakamura was in over his head. It just felt like it was, who's this guy? Why is he in this important match? Shouldn't he be in like the opening match of SmackDown against someone who doesn't really matter? rather than in this match that really does matter. So I think he can be rebuilt. I mean, it's going to take time and he's going to have to turn it up. He's going to have to move from second gear to through third, fourth, and hopefully he can reach fifth again. I mean, I'm not sure if he can, but I think he can do better than he has been doing. And maybe this will be, you know, the kick up the backside he needs. I, I don't know. But I mean, this is what we're saddled with until um, I guess the hype for Money in the Bank begins i suppose i don't know i mean yeah. um it just feels like there's so much more wwe could be doing with talent to prepare them for the top of the card it doesn't feel like there's any great sense of urgency in wwe that they're trying to create stars and trying to create challengers who are you know viable contenders to jimmy and jay at the moment and mm -hmm. you know, as we know they've got street profits so they're not really doing anything at the moment um, we've got Chad Gable and Otis, who are kind of in this bizarre comedy series with Ezekiel. Um, and they could be um, opponents for Jimmy and Jay and could be pushed in the, you know, just very quickly, uh, people would accept them as challengers. So I'm not quite sure why they're not in this position. Um, well, I guess it's to prepare Riddle, I would think maybe for a title match with Roman Reigns. I'm not sure if that's going to happen at Money in the Bank. Maybe it's going to happen at SummerSlam. I'm not sure, but I guess that's the long-term plan here. And it will probably make sense when we get to, 
you know, the run up to SummerSlam. I think we'll probably understand it then. But at this moment in time, it just feels like it just feels like WWE could be doing a hell of a lot more than they are. Yeah, I would echo that 100%. Because WrestleMania was such a big show, such a great show. And it now feels that we're on the second pay-per-view that really feels that you can miss it. Mm. It doesn't feel like there's anything on it that's like, you know, you know, I'm sure Cody and Seth will have a great Hell in a Cell match and all this kind of stuff. But nothing feels that you need to see it. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Nakamura and you're being very kind to him, Finn, which I've been in the past as well. But, I mean, the guy never pulled out against AJ Styles in their series in 2018 when he was in the world title match at WrestleMania and they had a rematch, I think, at the next pay-per-view. So, I mean, I think this is kind of the best we're going to get from old Nack. Um, <laughs> maybe you're right, yeah. And, maybe it is, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they should, I mean, if they don't see by, by now... I mean, if I were WWE, I don't know, to be honest, I don't know if I'd be renewing Nakamura after this contract because I think I think he's kind of done all he can do. You know, I think he's just kind of... And does he have more in the tank that he's not showing? Well, if he does, I don't really understand why he wouldn't be showing it or why he hasn't been showing it for the last three and a half years. But um, I think he's just got comfortable, Kenny. He's got the slippers on. You know, he's got his own chair. You know, what's this? What's the saying? Um, what's that? There's a saying about being comfortable, and and it's like it, it it breeds something else. Well, it's like like the comfort zone, isn't it? Like yeah. the comfort zone is the enemy of all promise. That's a phrase I've used before. There you go. Well, and, it applies um, to Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah, absolutely. You just get comfortable. You just you realize you've reached a certain point. You're happy there. You've given up all your aspirations to go any further. Uh, you can get by on doing certain things. You don't have to do any more. And, you know, you're not a threat to anyone above you on the totem pole or on the ladder. And you're not going to probably not going to slide any further down the ladder because you're established. And it's just this sort of, you know, this sort of status quo that you've reached and you're sort of content with it. But there's nothing aspirational about it. And it doesn't inspire viewers either so it's yeah. uh yeah i mean i mean the nakamura thing i don't i mean i was amazed when they re-signed him i can't remember when that was i think it might have been last year or possibly the year before i know he did sign a new deal and i thought that was i thought he was going to leave then and obviously not he's sticking around and but i i can't think of a reason why wwe would want to extend this deal because i mean really this position he's in right now it's fortuitous for Nakamura. He doesn't really deserve it. And the only reason he's in this position right now is because Boogs is injured and, you know, Orton's off, whether this yeah. injury is genuine or not. Orton's selling this injury. Do we know if this injury is genuine or not? I think it's I think it's, it's a worked injury okay. to, to sell so that, uh, you know, to build the big match with him and Roman. Yeah, I thought it was because... You know, Orton, in the last time we saw him, he wasn't showing any signs of being hurt. He was moving as good as ever. So it just sort of came from out of the blue. So yeah, it's got to be a storyline injury. So yeah, he's in this position because someone is injured for real and someone is selling a storyline injury. So, it do, you know, you just sort of wish, God, if only I had someone else who was ready to go, who could be in this position. And if only they planned ahead and prepared someone, said, right, this is the person who's going to be... A, you know, big star in late 2023, 2024. So let's put this person with Riddle and they can do the jobs, but they can 
get over in the process of working with Riddle and working with Jimmy and Jay. And that's really what WWE should be doing is preparing people for next year and the year after when they can become big stars. And I, I don't know why the machine doesn't do that more because they obviously have done this previously. They know how to do this. They've got so much talent in NXT that they could bring up. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why they don't do these things. Um, well, there's not really much to talk about from SmackDown. We're certainly not going to spend any time talking about Los Lotharios against Jinder and Shanky, which you know, what about I, Shanky's dance dance moves afterwards. Well, this is this is the new way to get him over. It felt like a match from Velocity back yes. in the day. It felt like you know it was uh, definitely not a match for SmackDown. Uh, we should mention that uh, we did have Drew McIntyre turn out to be the mystery partner for the New Day against the Brawling Brutes, Sheamus, Ridge Holland, and Butch in the main event. The babyfaces, of course, got the win, um, and Drew McIntyre uh, got to stand tall at the end. You know he could have strutted with the new day he wasn't quite committing to full I mean yeah. he danced a bit but he wasn't going full hog he, he was having 3MB flashbacks wasn't he <laughs> he really was you know, he's someone as well He he's it's like Drew McIntyre sitting in the waiting room yeah you know waiting to go into whatever he's doing next and I feel like he's been in the waiting room since last summer really <laughs> so yeah. um yeah yeah I think that's fair what about Natalia it was, a, it, it was her birthday guess how Guess how old Natalia is, Kenny? Um, I think she would be... Is she 40? Is it, is she she just is 40. 40. Yes, she is 40. I mean, she's she is... She, she has definitely got some help to look the way that she does, but more power to her. I mean, at this rate, she'll be still annoying us when she's 50. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, she was, you know, she was the other part of the show I was going to bring up because they did advertise, which was quite strange. They advertised Ronda Rousey and Raquel Rodriguez in a rematch, which you kind of yeah. thought, well, that's one of the only matches they've probably got left for SmackDown Women's Division. So, uh, but of course, it was just to set up an angle uh, with Shayna Baszler and Natalia coming in to interfere, which then gave us a tag match with Ronda and Raquel against Shayna and Natalia, um, where Ronda and Raquel were able to defeat the heels. Um, Rodriguez uh, was selling the knee injury during the match um, with the fight with Baszler. Um, I mean, it was, it was okay. I'm not too sure how I feel about Ronda and Shayna being on the opposite side when without really an explanation, because we know that they are like best friends. You know? Yeah, well, well, there was a moment in there where they sort of crashed into each other and they glared at each other, but then there was no, there was no actual wrestling between them they didn't battle although they obviously would have had to have done had they been in the ring together at any one time and uh, there wasn't others there to take over uh, but it did feel like they were setting that up as a future match which I think, which I think is something that could be good for both um, I thought it was a decent little tag match between Ronda and Raquel and Natalia and Shayna Baszler uh, Raquel Pinchena. I mean, fans were into Ronda, who does feel like she's been energized by the title victory over Charlotte at WrestleMania Backlash. And I think Raquel's doing well also. Um, you know, it's nothing mind blowing about the match, but it felt like progress. Step in the right direction. Yeah, and it felt like it felt like it achieved something. And I think it will settle Ronda Rousey versus Shayna Baszler. And because they are longtime pals and people know this, I think there will be interest in the match. 
And I think Ronda will be driven to make the match succeed um, for her own benefit and for the benefit of her longtime pal as well. So I think that's a match that can work for both. Yeah, I mean, my, my, yeah, I think it can too. I think as long as they... Uh explain to us you know the fact that they're friends you know they and you know just have a story going into it because sometimes what happens is you know if you've got a simple story of these two being really good friends but Shayna being underutilized Shayna wanting to be champion Ronda getting all the spotlight and it's quite an easy story and sometimes with the easy stories they add like a complicated layer that's not needed so I'm hoping they go with the kind of straightforward you know we could all relate to you know a friend who's got too much of the spotlight you know, I podcast with you, Finn. I see it on the daily. <laughs> hey! Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, keep it to the simple, relatable thing. Shane and Ronda, good grudge match. Don't be adding in any sort of, like, weird... Elements that are not required. Nothing superfluous. Exactly. Don't be adding in, like, a Wendy Styles or anything. To the situation. Say no excess baggage or anything <laughs> that's excess to requirements. No, don't overcomplicate it. No, no uh, overcomplicating. A couple well, of other things on the show that I just quickly mentioned. Madcap Moss is returning this week on SmackDown, hopefully with a new image and character. Yep. And he says he's, he's vowed to whip Happy Corbin's ass. Also, uh, Gunther or Gunter and Ludwig Kaiser defeated Ricochet and Drew Gulak. Uh, Ludwig uh, pinned Gulak. Uh, there was no contact in the match between Gunter and Ricochet, but afterwards Gunter did nail Ricochet. So it feels like that match is in the offing. It's, it's going to be coming soon. We're going to see Gunter versus Ricochet for the IC title. Sooner the better, in my opinion. Yeah, get that belt off of uh, off of Ricochet and on to our lovely, you know, European comrade. Um, well, listen, let's move on to Double or Nothing because there's so much stuff to go into on this. We're not going to go through every match, but we'll go through the big stuff. I mean, we can't not talk about the MGF situation quickly. Um, <clears throat> you know, is it a work? Is it a shoot? Um, he no-showed a meet-and-greet on Saturday, which, you know, people were reporting was a legit thing. Um, and then... Wardlow and MGF ended up opening the show. Um, I'm sure anybody with a brain cell knows that if MGF had really decided to show up half an hour before the show, Tony Khan would obviously have pulled the match or done something else. You know, obviously that's that part is definitely at work because you know you're not you're not having a wrestler show up half an hour before a pay-per-view showtime for the opening match and allowing, allowing that to slide. But what did you make of the story? Do you do you feel that we're being worked here? Do you feel that this is a legit situation how do you feel about it i mean i can't understand why i mean i know it's often easing character on social media and that's his gimmick he's the as i've said before he's the one flying the flag for kayfabe he's about the last guy standing in pro wrestling <laughs> i'm not just referring to AEW like everyone in pro wrestling at least in the states um, it did strike me as bizarre that he would no-show meet and greet and then AEW would have to issue refunds and he's creating work for AEW. I don't really understand why someone would create that story because it reflects very badly on AEW, makes them look disorganised. It makes them look like, makes Tony Khan and management look like they're not in control of MJF. I mean, can you imagine if someone were to do that in WWE? there would be severe consequences 
there there really would be i mean wwe would not tolerate that behavior and i suppose you could say well was the match a punishment the way it was laid out for mgf no showing the meet and greets i mean that's a possible explanation mm-hmm. yeah um, that's possibly how wwe would handle it by just jobbing out the talent and then basically sending them home for a while and you know, having a conversation with him, you know, you're ready to come back to work, what's your grievances, you know, we can't have you behaving like this, it makes the company, you know, look like a second-rate outfit, you know, what's going on here, can we resolve this? So, I mean, I found the match, I mean, I'm glad Wardlow won, it was obviously the right outcome, he's now in the storyline, signed an AEW contract, he can move on from MGF, I've enjoyed their feud, but it was time to draw a line under it and it's time for Wardlow to become his own man and to you know to take charge of his own career and story and to pursue titles and pursue his own objectives so that all made sense to me the outcome but the way they went about it was I think I was just kind of amazed by how weak they made MGF look I mean, he had, I think, was it like one forearm blow to the back? It was very, he had very little offense in the match, which Wardlow no sold. And he just spent the entire match running away from Wardlow until Wardlow grabbed him, smashed him with a powerbomb, um, nailed him with 10 powerbombs in total, and then pinned him with a boot on the chest. So quite it was a how decisive MG- victory. <laughs> I mean, quite, quite how MGF goes from this to defeating Roman Reigns in WWE, I do not know. Well, it's interesting because one of the things that I've, I've heard bandied around, the problem is we don't know the story, so, you know, we could just, we could speculate all day long, couldn't we? But, I mean, one of the things that I've heard is that, you know, MGF obviously wants more money because he mm. was signed when he was, I don't want to, I, I don't, I mean, say we speculate a number, say he was signed to a, a deal that was 125000 or something in 2019, something like that, maybe two hundred. And now he is one of the biggest acts on the show and he feels like he's not compensated accordingly. And the story is that Tony Khan has said he's happy to give him more money, but he wants MGF to sign a contract extension. And I think that's, I don't think that's a smart move because we have two years left till MGF leaves. And you're in this weird position where if MGF is basically going to not want to do his best work if he's not getting paid. So, I mean, if I were Tony Khan, I would sort of bump his wage up a bit and sort of say, look, here's what we'll give you now till 2024, because then he's not going to want to re-sign with you if you sort of hold them out. So they're in a very weird financial position that, I mean, if can you think of any other kind of public story like this where this has happened, where somebody midway through a contract has been really unhappy and to this level? Yeah, I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Goldberg in 99 in WCW. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he just went home. I mean, he worked out. He was the biggest star in the company. I mean, obviously, things weren't looking good by mid-1999. <laughs> things weren't quite as good in mid-1999 as they had been in mid-1998. But you can say that about everyone in WCW. Mm-hmm. And he just quit. Well, he quit. He just went home and said, you know, you're paying guys like Ric Flair, and DDP and Lex Luger, seven figures. And I'm earning, I think it was like less than half that. And I'm like, I'm like a bigger star than any of these people. <laughs> so if you want me to return to work, you're going to have to pay me in line 
with the other big stars in this company. And that's what WCW did. So to me, Tony Khan's got two options. He can either bump up his money, which he, to me, he needs to do because I understand when MGF signed, he wasn't a big star. He'd been working for MLW. He was, he's somebody that has absolutely grown with AEW and has become a huge star in this system. He's one yeah. of their homegrown success stories. So to me, he's worth a hell of a lot more money now than he was in 2019 or 2020. So they should just increase his pay. They absolutely should without, without any conditions. It's like, Bring him into the office. You know, Max, we absolutely appreciate what you've done for the company. We appreciate what you did for Wardlow, double or nothing. It was selfless. You know, you totally sacrificed your own star, you know, to promote Wardlow's uh, aura and position and status um, and enrich him as a as a star. So we're going to reward you with you know, an ex, well, what, you know, just say, well, what do you want? How much do you want? What's going to, what amount do you need to come to work here and be happy and do your best for the company? Yeah. Um, and say it's another half million a year. Maybe he wants more. Maybe he wants another 750,000 a year. I don't know. I mean, no doubt punks on seven figures. And he probably figures that he's worth at least as much as Punk or nearly as much as Punk to AEW. And I think that's a fair statement. I think he is. Um, and you've just got to bump his money up. You've got to reward him for what he has done and who he is and what he can do for others, as we saw at Double or Nothing. Um, with no conditions on, we need you to extend your contract beyond January 2024. That's the way you resolve this. And to me, that's what they just, that's what they need to do. And I think that would go a long, a long way towards restoring the goodwill between MGF and AEW. And then, you know, you come till September, October 2023, it's time to start talking about that new contract. Is MGF still contributing? Is he star still in the you know ascendancy is he still does he still want to be here and at that point you start talking about an extension and hopefully even more money so that's how i that's how i think they should address it they can't just bury their heads in the sand no. and pretend you know that this problem is going to go away it isn't they're going to have to put their hands in the pockets and just fork out you know hand over some more money yeah, because the story is that they've been wanting to try and re-sign him for a while, and he just doesn't want to do that yet. So yeah, I think you need to you need to get the money out, and because this is a long term investment here. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll see when he comes back. It seems like he's dead. He was stretched off here, so he's going to be off TV for a wee while. We'll see yeah. how he comes back. Well, um, they, I mean, AEW is just probably looking at the next eighteen months, and if they can restore a good working relationship, and they can appease Max, and they can convince him that his future is here and that he can grow as AEW grows theoretically, then he's going to be more inclined to resign, isn't he? You can't yeah. strong arm people. I mean, obviously people have in the companies have in the past and companies continue to this day. But to me, that's the way they need to handle it. Can I just mention also, yes. um, after Wardlow uh, had pinned MJF, just crushed him, um, the stretcher arrived at ringside far too quickly. I mean, that was just absurd. It was like a comedy spot. They put the neck brace on him and they placed him on the stretcher and then they put the oxygen mask on MGF's nose and eyes. These were not trained medical professionals. 
it was just, I, I just, I, it's just added to the, I was just, just like blown away. I was just baffled by the whole thing. I really was. I was just mm-hmm. like, what's going on here? And it was it, like, it was a comedy spot. And it's just like, this is your second biggest feud in the company. You just turn the whole thing into a, into a joke. Bizarre, Kenny. Bizarre. Well, listen, let's move on to uh, the Young Bucks taking on the Hardy Boys. Uh, we had Caprice Coleman on commentary who offered absolutely fucking nothing. Oh, every time that guy is there, go away. But anyway, Hardy's and the Young Bucks. This was obviously a struggle for Jeff Hardy uh, to get through. Um, they ended up going about 19 minutes. The crowd were really into the match. Um, the Hardys ended up getting the win in the end. Uh, what did you make of the match and the results? Um, I thought the match lasted too long. I mean, it actually, the ending wasn't bad. I mean, I felt like the audience were pretty flat for a lot of it, but they came alive towards the end. Um, mm, Matt was moving faster uh, than Jeff, who looked like he was in a lot of pain. At various points in the match, he was sat in the corner as if he was really struggling. At one point, he he took so long climbing to the top rope um, to uh, execute the whisper in the wind on Nick, and that just looked really poor. Like, you know, Nick's having to stand there, and, like, Jeff's struggling to get to the top rope. Um, and, Jeff, and Jeff was, like, sat in the corner. It just looked... I mean, never mind broken Matt Hardy. This was broken Jeff Hardy, and not in a way that's com- not in a way that's comical. And no. I don't know how much of this was selling. I don't think much of it was. He looked like I think it was his left leg. He looked like he was really in a lot of pain with his left leg. And is this a consequence of that um, stupid match he had with Darby Allen? I don't know. I mean, it's not like he's wrestling that often in AEW. Some you know it's like maximum twice a week. Sometimes it's not even he's not even wrestling once a week. But Jeff looked like he was having a really difficult time here. Um, and to me, Jeff and Matt, for that reason, should not have won this match. They should have lost this match, and Tony should have just sent them home for like you know not in a way that's like you're going home because we're going to send you to rehab, but we're going you're going home because you've obviously got you're obviously nursing some injuries. And we only want you in the ring when you're ready to go. Um, but I mean, I, I enjoyed it more than most Young Bucks matches because it was a slower match. They did fewer moves. Um, there was more selling, at least by the, uh, the Hardy Boys. Um, and I think the ending was pretty hot, actually. I mean, it was slightly convoluted and it just did too much. But I mean, this is what you expect from the Young Bucks. Uh, in the end, Jeff pinned Nick with a swanton. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's... Uh, it's the Hardy Boys who presumably are going to challenge Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, do you think? I guess this probably sets up a title match. We've got a 10-man, yeah. haven't we, on this week's Dynamite? Well, it's now, been, it's now actually been changed to an 8-man and Jeff has been removed. Okay, all right, okay, okay. Well, yeah, well, hopefully he's been removed and he's been given some time off because I think he desperately needs it. Um, but yeah, it was... It was a strange match, Kenny. I know you tweeted out that Jeff looked like he was really struggling out there and he was really off in the match. And I think that was obvious to everyone. To me, I mean, look, I I saw I, I watched him on Rampage with him and Matt coming out, you know, after Gangrel made his appearance. And that is not the Jeff Hardy I saw on Sunday. And I don't know if this is the, the correct thing to say, 
I am very curious if he had taken something that day that disagreed with him. Because um, if you watch him, he seems quite out of it for a lot of the match. And to me, it didn't really look like he was just injured. It looked like he was out of it a little bit. So I'm curious. I mean, I will say this is it's a weird thing for me to say. This is actually my favorite Young Bucks match ever. Because <laughs> I thought they really and I'm I'm I know how I thought they put in a really good shift here and they really carried the Hardys to something serviceable. And given what they had to work with, that is a miracle they were able to get it to where it was because you know Jeff was able to do barely anything, like you say, you know, he was slipping, he was tripping. Matt, who obviously is not able to move Matt Hardy, who's not able to move that well, you know, they they bumped around him. They did everything, they did everything they could to make the Hardys look good. And I think that they for me for me, they um I want to commend them on I think putting in a really good shift with not a lot to work with. Yeah, I would I would second that. You know, I, I absolutely echo those comments. I mean, I thought they really did try here to make the Hardy Boys look like the team that they once were but obviously they aren't that team anymore. And um, yeah, it's a real shame, you know, but this is the, you know, this is the upshot of doing too many stupid things in the ring and wrestling when you're wrestling on a regular basis, when you should really only be wrestling on a part-time basis, which I think is probably fair comment for Jeff and Matt Hardy. I don't think they should be in the ring more than, you know, they shouldn't be wrestling like, you know, once a month tops, I mean, it's a nostalgia act, and nostalgia is better when it's used infrequently. Uh, but you're right about the Young Bucks. They really did try very diff- very hard here. They were in a very difficult situation against two people who are way past the prime and should not be wrestling on a regular basis and certainly not wrestling in matches that last nearly 20 minutes and not be required to do as much as they were here. So I think the match would have worked far better had it been like 10 or 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I think that was another flaw. I mean, this match, this show just went on and on. And that was another thing that they should have done was they should have cut the minutes that were allocated to this match and the match would have been a hell of a lot better for it. But this is, you know, this is, I, I, again, I don't want to like speculate as to Jeff's situation. All I'm saying is if you watch him on Rampage and you watch him at the pay-per-view, his demeanour was completely different on from, from each show. And this is not the first time that Jeff Hardy has appeared fine at one point on show day and then went out and not been the same. Yeah. So to me, it's like that needs to be looked at because I am convinced there's more to the story. But we'll, see. well, I mean, you know, we had the situation in WWE where Jeff was acting erratically. And um, WWE, you know, was seeking answers and was suggesting that is there a problem? You know, do you need professional help? You know, he's obviously got a track record. And like Jeff just quit. And as soon as he was available, Tony Khan signed him up. And it's like, did he address these problems that may or may not have existed in the interim? I don't think he did. And, you know, it's like history is repeating itself. I mean, it's 20, nearly 20 years. Well, it's actually 2003, wasn't it, when um, he, uh, was he, did he quit? No, he was fired from WWE. Yeah, it was 2003. 2003, WWE. So we're talking 19 years. And there have been a lot of things building to his exit from WWE in 2003, which in hindsight would not happen now. 
WWE would have been absolutely on it. They would have like addressed, they would have got him in somewhere. They would have sent him home. They would have sent him for treatment. They would have given him ultimatums. They would have said, listen, this cannot continue. You know, we, we cannot continue to have you under contract when you're, when you're behaving in this manner, you have to seek professional help. You know, here it is, you either do that or you're no longer working for WWE. Um, so this happened again, you know, in December when he was in WWE and apparently heading for a few Roman and all sorts of big plans for him. And he refuses to comply, resurfaces in AEW, and here we are again. So, I mean, we don't know what's going on, but something something amiss here, Kenny, isn't there? Yeah, 100%. Um, right, we're going to try and get through as much of the rest of Double or Nothing in the, in the next 25 minutes or so, so we'll, we'll be skipping some stuff. Uh, Jade Cargill defeated Anna Jay for the TBS title. The finish to this looked atrocious. Um, Malcolm Bivens, the former Stokely Hathaway, ended up coming out at, at the end at ringside um, to seemingly now you know, be in Jade Cargill's corner. And then post-match, when the baddies were beating up uh, you know, Anna Jay, Chris Statlander ran down, and she was getting beat up as well. Uh, Athena, the former Ember Moon, made her entrance. Big ovation. She came down. Um, so it seems like she's going to kind of be in the corner of Chris Statlander and Anna Jay against the baddies. Uh, Finn, we've been talking for a while that we want to see uh, the former Ember Moon Athena signed. So hopefully this is, I mean, after this match, somebody like Athena and the companies can only be a step up. Oh yeah, Athena's arrival was the best thing about this match. This was like the blind leading the blind. Um, I mean, I don't, I think Cargill's match with AQA in February on the February 9th Dynamite was worse, but this was dreadful. Um, I just, I mean, just what can you say? It's, just a total shambles. And they had so many distractions as well. So many diversions to distract us from what was happening in the ring. And it was still an utter failure, this match. And um, yeah, I mean, at one point, uh, Jay was in the corner and then Cargill was about to climb another uh, turnbuckle on the opposite side of the ring. Then she climbed down because someone was in the wrong position. And that was just one of the most screwed up things I think I've ever seen on pay-per-view. So, yeah, really bad. And uh, But great to see Athena there. That's the best thing I can say about the match. And also uh, the former Malcolm Bivens as well. So, um, I mean, I've been a big fan. I was a big fan of his in NXT. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what he brings to AEW. Right, well, let's move on to the next uh, ma- the, the next matches to talk about, the Owen Hart Cup Finals. We had Adam Cole versus Samoa Joe in the men's Owen Hart Cup Final. Uh, Adam Cole was paying homage to Owen Hart with the pink gear on, and he defeated Samoa Joe in about 12 and a half minutes. What did you think of the match? Um, I mean, Bobby Fish interfered twice. Um, I mean, against Joe, Adam Cole looked even thinner. I mean, he's so slender. It's just, I just can't believe how slender he is. Um, Cole hit an anticlimactic lowering of the boom for the pin. Uh, I thought it was really flat. And um, I have no idea why Adam Cole was chosen to win this. It should have been somebody younger. It should have been somebody, I mean, Cole's just had his run with Hangman Adam Page. You know, I mean, he didn't need this win. It should have been someone younger. It should have been somebody who could use this as a springboard to fame and fortune, Kenny. So 
Um, and Samoa Joe, as the other finalist, again, I was just baffled by the decision to make Joe the other finalist, this veteran. Why was he there? Didn't really bring too much to this match. So big disappointment, Kenny. What did you think? Uh, I mean, it, it was okay. It was fine. It was, it, it was, it was, it was like, you know, unseasoned chicken. <laughs> Just fine, you know. Not offensive. Not gonna. Not didn't set my world on fire. It, oh, it was, this, turn, this tournament just seems like it's been going on all year, and, that, <laughs> and that's the outcome. Adam Cole, who's uh, just had this really, it was kind of second-rate feud with the world champion. And I, mean, I do have a, th- I, I do have a theory. A I do have a theory, which we'll get to in a second, of why I think they've done this. But uh, we then got Britt Baker and Ruby Soho in the women's final. We had uh, Britt Baker played out by Fozzie guitarist Rich Ward. So good to see Jericho still get his pals a gig. Um, <laughs> and then Ruby came out with Rancid performing Ruby Soho, which is a very cool entrance for her. Um, Britt and Ruby Soho went about 13 and a half minutes. Uh, Ruby Soho applied maybe the worst sharpshooter I've ever seen. In my life. I've never seen anything worse than that. I went into this match really hoping Ruby Soho would win. And then by the end of the sharpshoot, I was like, I actively hope she doesn't win. Now, uh, so Britt Baker got the win. I mean, I thought they wrestled a decent match, but I mean, that sharpshooter, what was going on? Oh, I mean, why didn't she like, I mean, Ruby Soho's been doing this a long time. And it's like, why didn't she just release it and put it on again? And then the victory roll finish just see them talking to each other and it was like we need to do this tribute to the Hart family on the finish and it just looks so clumsy and again I remember saying weeks ago I hope Britt Baker doesn't win this tournament I hope it's somebody who needs the win and can get over as a result of it and you know can become a challenger to the title what does what does Ruby Ruby came in she couldn't beat Britt Baker for the title she couldn't win the TBS title she couldn't win the one heart tournament yeah. What what is Ruby what's the end game of Ruby Soho? I don't know. What is the point of all this? I mean, now, this should have been Soho's night. And you but you're right, she did not look good in the match. Um and the match, I don't think was a success really on any level. Um so I'm just I'm just perplexed by the whole thing. I do feel like so my prediction is I think part of the reason they've done it, I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong, I'm just why I think they've done it, is I feel like this is going to set up Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae confronting both of them on Dynamite. Well, po- possibly. But I mean, who really cares about that? <laughs> I mean, we've always seen that loads of times in NXT. And again, it just feels like the whole company is turning into this NXT tribute. So I was just by this point in the show, I was just like, wow, I hope something's is going to improve soon. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, this, the sweetest part of the whole thing was definitely Martha Hart, who came out and she got to kind of have a moment and talk about, you know, uh, the fact that, she, that you know, they're, they're honoring Owen, they're chanting, thank you, Martha. She, you know, they, they had like a little remix of Owen Hart's old theme tune and she was doing a little dance to it. And it was kind of just really nice to see, you know, this woman who sometimes gets vilified by these weird gatekeeping wrestling fans um, to see that she actually doesn't hate wrestling. Um, she just want, wanted to do something in a way that she felt comfortable with a company she felt comfortable with. So I thought that the, the Martha Hart part of it was definitely the highlight of the the whole Owen Hart portion of the show by a mile. What did you think? 
Yeah, I mean, it was nice to see her there. I thought the uh, the title belts that they'd had made looked tremendous as well. Like, you know, big budget. They, they looked amazing. Um, no expense had been spared. So I thought that, that was really good. And, um, yeah, Martha, uh, she read out a prepared statement. And um, it just felt like she was... She was pleased to be involved in pro wrestling again. And that was nice to see for her. And that must have been really uplifting for her as well, mm-hmm. that she could go to a wrestling show and feel good about it. And obviously we know what happened back in 99. And, um, it, you know, this must be very cathartic for her to be able to have this interaction with pro wrestling again. And it could be a, a plus in her, in her life. You know, it could be a beneficial to her and, uh, you know, good for for her personally so yeah i would agree with you uh, that that was the uh, the best part of the tournament uh, so let's move on to the next match we want to talk about uh, which is thunder rosa and serena deeb wrestles the AEW women's title and um, they wrestled about just under 17 minutes and i thought they actually did a really good job here i thought they had a, a strong match the story obviously going into it was very dull but i think they 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 i mean they surpassed the expectations I had for them. And at 4 a.m., the fact that I was, you know, in any way into it is probably a compliment to them. What did you think about uh, Thunder Rosa and Serena Deep here? Yeah, it was it was good to see Thunder Rosa score a big win. And I'm with you. I mean, the promos um, that were exchanged in the run-up to this feud, um, someone should have written them for them. There should have been more, I think, more creative attention gone into this feud to make it feel bigger than it was. I think it was a real, you know, I think they really let them down. And I think in the ring here, they had to they had to really compensate or to offset, you know, what the creative team had failed to deliver for them. And I think they tried very hard to put together a serious match. I think they did so. Um, I think Rosa still needs a hell of a lot of help from the company to make her title reign feel meaningful. And like, she didn't even really feel like a champion. And um you know, it's to me, there's so much more they could be doing for her. Um, I hope that they have a rematch. I think there's still more for them to do. Um, I'm not quite sure how they should go about it, but they, I think there's still more for them to do. I realize that um, uh, Rose obviously won after a superplex and a, th- and a fire thunder driver. So it was a very decisive victory for her and did feel like it had drawn a line under the feud. So maybe that is it. Um, but I feel like these two. It was as if the feud just started to get going here, if you know what I mean, Kenny. It was as if in the run-up to this match, they were kind of shortchanged by the company and weren't given enough time to really make this matter. But the match did make this feud matter. So that's the reason why I'd like to see it continue. And maybe they can put together some better promos, some better segments, some better angles, and make a rematch feel... Um, like a proper finale to this feud. What do you think, Kenny? Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would agree with some of that. I think for me, part of the issue is that I don't think either of these women are very good at promos. Uh, you know, when Serena Deeb does a promo, you struggle to not fall asleep. She <laughs> yeah. just has no presence whatsoever. Mm. So I think that I can forgive AEW for the lead up to this because you want to try and give them the chance to cut promos and stuff and see how they do I think now that they've had, the, to your point, they've had a really good match. Now we know they can have a good match. So people will be open to see what they do. I think they should do more angle-based stuff going forward. Yeah. Um, but for the for the two, for these two women, for Rosa and Deep, if I were them, I hope that they are accepting some of the failure 
for the lead up to this on their lack of promo skill. And, you know, they're in a company where there's loads of good promos. You know, there's Jericho, there's Regal, there's uh, MJF, there's different people who can do promos. They should be seeking these people out and getting some advice and trying to better themselves. So I hope that they are not blind to that because I think long term, for them to have longevity in the division, they are going to need to get better promos. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and Deeb's been doing this a very long time, and so is Thunder. I mean, Deeb was a trainer in the WWE system, and to mm-hmm. me, if they can't do them face-to-face in front of a crowd, if they get the jitters, you know, if, there's, if they just can't handle that pressure, then yeah. pre-record it, pre-record the promos, pre-record the confrontations backstage, and just redo them until they look, until they look and sound good. Yeah, 100%. Well, listen, let's move on to the 10-man anarchy in the arena, the Jericho Appreciation Society taking on Moxley, Daniels, and Kingston, Santana Ortiz. What did you make of Jericho Appreciation Society's garb, Finn? What did you make of their, their white gear with their backwards berets? Well, the whole idea, of course, was you wear white when you know that lots of people are going to blade because it shows the blood up. So, I mean, that's as old as the business itself. You know, <laughs> Dusty was famous for wearing white T-shirts when he knew he was going to blade, which was, you know, in five matches out of seven. So, uh, off, you know, and certainly in seven angles out of seven when he was allowed to. So, um, so that was the reason why they were wearing white. Uh, so the blood would show up. And it did show up, didn't it, Kenny? The blood. It, it was did. There was display. It was resplendent. Plenty of it. Now, this went almost 23 minutes. It felt like the crowd really perked back up for this one. They were smart to keep this to later in the show. Um, the Jericho Appreciation Society ended up going over. You know, there's a kind of quite brutal looking finish with Jericho having the walls of Jericho in, on Danielson while Hager was choking Danielson with the top rope, which is kind of a fun call back to, you know, Justin Roberts, if you want to look at it that way. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we, should, we should have had a little shot at Justin Roberts. Couldn't we? Justin Roberts could have put <laughs> him at ringside going, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you make to this uh, crazy brawl that they had? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're into brawls, you couldn't have asked for anything more than from this than it delivered. Maybe, I know a lot of people objected to the finish with Daniel Bryan, uh, Bryan Danielson, not Daniel Bryan, Bryan <laughs> Danielson. Um he, he was, as you said, he was in the walls of Jericho and then was choked out and he didn't tap out. He passed out. Of course, all no star taps out. They have to pass out. The referee called it. So, yeah, some people didn't like that as a finish. And I can understand that as well. I don't really know why Danielson was chosen, as why he was the designated jobber. There was a lot of other people in the match. And I think really anyone other than Danielson should have done the job. Uh, but maybe it will lead to something on Dynamite this week. There was a fallout, wasn't there, between Danielson and Kingston? Yes. Uh, for the finish. Uh, this happened when uh, Kingston tried to set Jericho on fire. Um, so, you know, maybe this is Danielson and Kingston, that feud. Um, yeah, Commences or, you know, fi- fires up, pardon the pun, hey. on Dynamite this Wednesday. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean... Maybe after Dynamite on Wednesday, I will be singing a different tune. I'll be like, yeah, well, it did make sense for Danielson to lose because that will then intensify his rage against Kingston. And it was Kingston's fault that he was beaten in the match. But yeah, it was it was a wild brawl. They did all sorts in it, going through tables. I mean, dismantled the ring. 
scrapping backstage through the crowd. I mean, you know, we had the the tease fire spot. I mean, it was. I mean, there was. I mean, everything except the kitchen sink was used. Yeah. In the match. There was a bit of a botch at the end when Moxley was. Um, he was supposed to crash through a table that had the barbed wire loops on it, and then the table didn't break. And um, you know that was uh, just before the finish. Uh, but I mean, you know, that's neither here nor there, really, is it? I mean, when you think of what this match delivered. So yeah, as far as brawling matches go, you couldn't have really have asked for anything more. Yeah, it was it was great. It was really really good fun. I mean, there was some you know Eddie Kingston actually in this kind of looked like a real star. You know, he looked like a really valiant baby face guy in the match which was good for him i loved the spot where you know the music was playing moxley's music kept playing and then jericho just went to the amp and unplugged it really made me laugh um but yeah i thought this was this definitely reignited me and the people watching it at 4 30 in the morning or whatever it was um but yeah very fun stuff um and then let's go straight into the main event uh, Hangman Adam Page against CM Punk for the AEW World Title. Uh, they ended up uh, getting like uh, 25 minutes, just over 25 minutes. Um, and as expected, CM Punk was able to hit the GTS um, after going for the buckshot lariat, but his knee buckled. Um, but uh, oh no, Pedro Page, Page, because Punk went for it earlier and it didn't work. And then Page <laughs> went for it. Um, Page went for it right at the end and his knee buckled. And then Punk was able to hit the GTS. Get a one, two, three. So Punk is your new AEW champion. What did you make of the match? And are you still convinced this is the right result for Punk to be champ going forward? Yeah, I, I think it was the right result. I mean, we should mention that Paige had suffered the storyline injury on a moonsault to the floor. And he'd sold his leg after that. Um, but yeah, the mm-hmm. Punk botch on the bookshot lariat, that was um, that was widely shared on social media. It was. Media. That was gifable. Yes, widely shared. So, uh, <laughs> Um, I like the match. This was my favourite match of the night. I mean, I like the partly because of the outcome. I mean, this was it was definitely Punk's time to go over. I think it was Hangman's time to lose the belt as well. Uh, they didn't do too much in the match. Um, it felt more like a WWE style match with the selling and not that sort of gratuitous excess that we associate with AEW. I don't think it ever really felt like a classic match. I don't think it felt like a you know, magical or majestic performance. But I think it was, I think it was more than adequate. Um, I mean, in the end, I think it was, you know, the the story all made sense with the guys selling the injuries and the GTS for the pain. And, you know, Punk pretended to cry afterwards. That I found that a little bit excruciating, to be honest with you. But uh, <laughs> And not as excruciating as Tony Khan's uh, performance in the in the uh, media scrum afterwards. Wow, just wow! What <laughs> was that? I mean, overshadowed the entire match, really. Um, yeah, we had a ref bump as well. So um, you know, Page at one point, well, actually after the ref bump, Page was Page going to go full blown heel. Page went over and grabbed the uh, the AEW World Title belt. And he was going to use it as a weapon, and then he decided against it. Um, so I think that was nice as well that Page didn't do the heel turn. I think, you know, on one hand, I wanted him to turn heel here, but on the other hand, I think it was good that it was a, you know, like tw- I guess sort of tweener tweener match rather than babyface heel. And I think it would have been the wrong decision 
for Paige to turn heel here because enough happened in the match already. If he's going to do the heel turn, leave it to this week's Dynamite or maybe the Dynamite after or leave it to a later date. Don't do it in this match as well because I think the heel turn would have got lost in the match and it also would have confused the message which was uh, which was Paige losing the belt, Punk winning the belt, Punk becoming a new champ. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I liked it as a main event. I think I think it did. I think it did everything. I think it achieved everything that it set out to achieve. Uh, did everything that it said on the tin, and um, I'm glad Punk's champ. So, uh, so yeah, really, um, really satisfying end to the show, Phil. Yeah, I think overall there was some some really fun stuff on the show, good stuff on the show, interesting stuff. There was some needless stuff as well. So they just kind of belonged in a dynamite but uh, that is your double or nothing review everybody um we are going to be quickly talking about raw it shouldn't take us very long on the personal podcast this week um and uh, we'll be talking about loads of other stuff maybe we'll maybe we'll ask Finn a little bit more about tony khan's performance in the uh, post-show media scrum um so finn i want to thank you for your time as always oh you're very welcome i hope everyone's enjoyed our review there's quite a few matches that we didn't have a chance to cover uh, because there were so many damn matches on the show. Yeah, we had, we had to cut some time. We're like the SummerSlam 92 broadcast version. Exactly. AEW had cut some of the time for some of the matches and cut some of the matches altogether. I know. Maybe there's a Hulu version. It was like three hours. That'd be great. But anyway, um, listen, as always, uh, thanks for your support. InsideTheRopesMagazine.com is where you can uh, check out the magazine. And Patreon.com forward slash InsideTheRopes is where we do bonus content. Um, we do a Power Slam overrun. We look at old issues of Power Slam. You also get the Power Slam podcast a day early. Uh, that and so much more. So I want to thank you for all your support, everybody. And we'll talk to you soon. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.